Snake Pontchartrain here. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a G-H-O-T-R-T, a ghost hunting over the road trucker. And I'm tracking something, somebody, something more evil than the sum of its parts. In summation, In summation. it's taken me from the swamps of Louisiana to the wilderness of Arkansas and through the creepiest county in Ohio. In Ohio. And now I'm headed to Bridgewater. Massachusetts, Massachusetts, the Bridgewater Triangle. One of Snake Pontchartrain's places you wouldn't want to go unless you're with Snake Pontchartrain. Where I think the thing I'm tracking is waiting for me. But before I go there, I gotta tell you how I got here. It all begins with a story in Cajun country about an insurance scam on the I-10 corridor four-wheelers causing staged accidents with the fellas on 18 wheels and then shaking down those hard-working folks for a big payoff. Got so bad, they put together a joint local state federale task force to put the brakes on the bumper busting. But I'd read the brains behind the big rig balderdash got away. And the description of him, it, whatever he or it was, sounded creepily familiar to a frightful figure I found myself up against in the Kentucky wilds. So I arranged a meeting with the man who ran the Louisiana side of the investigation, Detective Rod Gabler. I sat him down at a diner, and this is his statement. I'm State Detective Rob Gabler. I'm in charge of the Louisiana end of the task force. Usually these scams start from the top down with the lawyers or the lawyers working with the mob. Operation like this requires a uh, bureaucratic and legal expertise that, shall we say, eludes most low-level perps. But this one, this one was pretty odd. The scam works exactly the same way that uh, anyone with common sense would figure it. A spotter identifies the marks and then alerts a slammer to target that truck. A slammer carries passengers who are the ones that later on are going to make uh, claims as victims. Now, the victims get paid a small fee. The spotter and the slammer get a commission based on the victims. And the lawyers get the lion's share. At least that's, that's how it usually works. Now, here's the pig in the turnips. The three attorneys we thought were at the top of all of it all claimed the plan was hatched by two characters by the names of Elijah Jacobs and Matthias Salem. The embarrasser said it was those two who approached them with a surefire plan to hit them two carriers without drawing any attention. So, they got their hands on the records of the truckers with the least safe driver miles for those carriers, for those specific trucking companies, and they targeted them. That's down-home brilliant. Because they knew no one wanted to end up in court defending those guys with previous accidents all over their sheets. And up to three million, they were right. But like always happens, they got greedy. Everybody but Elijah Jacobs. He had told them all from the beginning, there's a cutoff number. Three million. Three million, that's it. And and when it was reached, the slamming party was over, boys and girls. Even when they offered him and Matthias a bigger cut of an already big cut, Elijah walked. And he took his boy with him. But... <sighs> Matthias not only had a love of casinos in Lake Charles, but he also liked to look good walking into them with whatever deep fried skank he had on his arm at the time. 
So without Elijah, he comes back and helps him keep running it. And they slam a driver, of course, with an impeccable record. And that gives them investigators the time they need to gather evidence, and in the blink of an eye, the whole thing just comes crashing down on them. But while we get almost everybody right down to the nagging housewife who practically pushed her husband into one of those slammer cars, the, the one fellow who evades our grasp is Elijah Jacobs. Now he's just gone, gone in a puff of black diesel smoke with his buddy Matthias left holding the bag. Now here's where it starts to get weird. No one, and, and I mean no one, can give us a consistent description of Elijah. They say he, he's tall, but, but not as tall as the last description, apparently. He, he's older, but come to think of it, well, he could, he could be younger. Salt and pepper, no, no, a streak, streak of gray. That's what I remember. Wait, no, his hair was jet black. Uh, did, did he have a beard? Hmm. His eyes was gray. No, no, no blue. Bloodshot. They was bloodshot. See right through you. See right through him. Barely, barely noticed him. Just, well, they barely noticed him, but, but always felt him there. Always. Even Matthias couldn't, wouldn't pin him down. Called him a skinny-ass Elvis. <laughs> but more dangerous. That's what he said. said. Said he was like the preacher at the church where he grew up. But scarier. And uh, that was saying something. But see, all that, all that's just impressions. That's not scars. That's not cheekbones. That's not the shape of a chin. That's a Feeling, And feelings ain't facts. And feelings don't hang in police stations or post offices. What does hang, at least metaphorically, is the guy who concocted a plan to scam three million plus off some pissed off carriers. And without any line on Elijah, Matthias is looking not only at massive fines and fraud charges, but now a RICO statute as well, since his activities cross state lines. And he helped hatch the scam, so... Pardon my language, but he's effed. And, and that's when that's when Matthias gets desperate. Doing 10 and paying off a fine is a lot different than five consecutive five-year sentences with debt and what middle age waiting for you when the gates finally open up. I always got the feeling he was dancing around giving us his description. Got the feeling he might be actually afraid of Elijah. But life in prison ain't no life at all, so he tells us there might, there, there just might be a way to get in touch with that disappearing puff of diesel smoke. But <laughs> he has to go back and get Elijah's business card from his apartment. Now, I'm not going to repeat that because that's the kind of thing just saying more than once makes you lose 10 IQ points. <laughs> Stupid. That just... It sounds like squirrel hunt to me. But the feds, the boys from Justice, and even some of my superiors know. They just know there's got to be something else going on here. Dixie Mafia, a Russian syndicate, a bankrolling operation, right? It can't just be Matthias Salem, the stupid half of a banjo-picking crime duo. They simply refuse to believe we're dealing with a redneck who just pushed his luck too far. 
I, on the other hand, have made an entire career around rednecks pushing their luck too far. So I say, oh, hell, Matthias, go, go get your card. It'll prove everybody wrong and give me a good laugh in the process. In retrospect, I wish I had argued harder against the stupid and against sending that boy and them two fed back to Matthias' shithole of an apartment. Later that day, we got a call. An incendiary device had gone off killing our boy and one of the agents. The only reason the second agent wasn't killed, too, the device went off in the bedroom. They figured the second agent saw the spark, slammed the door, and it blew off his hinges, knocked him through the window facing the parking lot, broke his back, separated his shoulder, and popped a whole bunch of blood vessels in his right eye. They had to induce coma. It was that bad. And while he lays there in critical condition, the boys from Quantico, they get to work. They can't find any device, whatever it is. It, it went off in the center of the room. From the ground up, off a concrete floor, it dispersed no shrapnel. It, it's as if fire just erupted from that spot. With enough heat to burn two bodies beyond any recognition and enough force to send a man built like a linebacker over the hood of a car into the parking lot, then there was Matthias's autopsy. He's a charred husk, face seared into the scream of a final realization. But clutched in our self-immolating redneck's hand is a business card. A completely intact business card. Not so much as a browning of heat, much less a singe mark on it. Now, you know what else isn't on it? A name. No contact info, no address. All this air, it, it's just a symbol. At the time, it reminded me of, well, a lot of things. A uh, stick drawing of a helicopter from up above, or um, maybe a dragonfly. But regardless of whatever was on it, it looked like it had been made yesterday. It wasn't even frayed at the edges. The agent eventually woke up. Not surprisingly, he didn't remember much. Until, um, we showed him the card. And that shook him. Said that the symbol on it was the same symbol that was on the floor in the bedroom, exactly where the bomb had gone off. He remembers Matthias stepping into it while holding the card. And he didn't remember anything after that except a growing light until he woke up with a nurse over him. FBI took it hard losing one of their own. So they put in the overtime. But they figured based on what little they got from their recovering agent uh, that the floor had been covered in some kind of accelerant that was set off by an electrical fixture. And when word later on comes out that one of the indicted attorneys actually had Dixie Mafia connections in Lake Charles and that Matthias, before he mixed it up with Elijah, was actually involved with some arson fraudsters. Well, people feel like there are enough pieces of the puzzle now to figure out what's missing. But that surviving agent, I'm not going to tell you his name. Uh, he just couldn't let it go. He told me later that they'd run an analysis on that pristine business card, maybe hoping to find out where it had been printed and get a hit on CCTV or track down an online purchase, something. 
but the best they could tell him was inconclusive. I told you we wouldn't let it go, right? Found out they buried the results. Mm-hmm. And kept bothering folks. He just bothered folks until, uh, you know, off the record, the forensic guys, as a favor, gave him the results with the promise that he'd drop it. And he did. Right in my lap. <laughs> that card, the business card, um, it was homemade. So was the ink. Turns out the paper it was made of was Cypress papyrus. Paper reed. The, the stuff they made paper from in ancient Egypt. Ancient Egypt paper. <laughs> Inside the file the agent gave me, was a note telling me to make the connection between the paper and the symbol. That symbol's an ankh. It's an ancient symbol, uh, symbol of life. But this one's, this one's got an X through it. What was I to make of it? What was I to make of any of that? Nothing. Uh, I thought, I got too much good police work in me to end up as one of those kind of pensioners that spends all his time in front of the local PTA showing slides of kids playing Dungeons and Dragons and telling those folks that there's some secret satanic ritual going on. At least that's how I felt until I got the call from Texarkana. This episode was written by Jimmy Mack and performed by Justin Wellborn. Sound, music, and production by Claire Marie Nimenich. Find more of their work on planetclaireproductions.com. Visit Snake Pontchartrain on podwheels.com and on Twitter at Snake Rattle Roll. Listen to Jimmy Mack on Radio Nemo's Dave Nemo Weekends, your weekend 34, from 7 to 11 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Channel 146, Road Dog Truckin', or on demand on the Sirius XM app. Help others find our show by liking, subscribing, rating, and reviewing. Until next time, over and out. <laughs>